Well, I'm going to call this program Coffee Talkie. So I just need you to say, Mr. Dana presents Coffee Talkie. Mr. Dana presents Coffee Talkie. Perfect. Hmm. I'm a man that grew up with a woman's name. <clears throat> All right. So I still get stuff now. Now I'm getting like um, uh, coupons for Depends, but it's to Ms. Schroyer. <laughs> Ms. And it's Schroyer. the female kind. I get stuff with wings. <laughs> All because of my name. It started Dana, off right. With, Started off with um, uh, I getting like 17 magazine, free tampons in the mail. That's funny. Just because they had your name, Dana. Because my name was Dana. It's only been till recent that I've even started meeting men. Named Dana. Really? Named I've Dana. known more men, Dana, than I have women, Dana. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I have a good buddy from Sharon, Dana Dunn. He's a financial advisor. But I've known more, yeah, a lot more Dana guys. And I guess the origination of the name is um the dane oh is where it comes from so it actually was masculine yeah but um yeah the dane, yeah. The dane. how are you my friend are we recording clandestine oh, absolutely okay we already we already are yeah yeah i like it you did what somebody does that joe rogan or somebody just starts recording and <laughs> we then... will start talking rogan because rogan's one of the reasons why yeah we're sitting here yeah. right now i am doing great today appreciate you uh Having me out here into the radio bunker, as, you, as I would call it. It's um, it's taken a year, but I'll, I'll tell you this. So I have been hesitant for many, many years about doing a talk format program. I've had people and radio professionals. You and I have a big radio background. And uh, I've had people over the years that have asked me about doing a talk show. And I, my intellect, everything about it. Oh, you're, that's your cold. That's I don't Do what you need to do. Move it around. That's there we go. Rookie mistake. Go ahead. Um, but um, no, actually, because of COVID and stuff, I got more and more into the Rogan program and the fun that they were having. Number one, humor and comedy is missing. And I've realized how much it was missing in my life personally. And then to see other people interact the way we all used to interact 15, 20 years ago, and then realized that I'm not crazy at this age, that other people <laughs> a little are bit. like Maybe us. a little bit. Well, yeah. Not not a little left or right of center. Right, right. Whatever. Yeah. But anyway, um, about a year ago, maybe a little longer now, well, about a year ago, I was on your WPIC show, mm -hmm. and we had fun. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I made the decision that if I start a talk format, I want to have you on as my first guest. Wow, I feel honored. Well, and and remember, it was about a year ago that I asked you. To do, it took me a year to get here. Well, it wasn't your fault. It was also on my end, too. I mean, it's taken me a year to get to this point. Yeah. Putting the music together, having a little music show and stuff mm -hmm. like that is fun, but just to sit down and start. Yeah, this is a little more daunting, a little more intimidating to do talk like this because it just it's makes you you're more vulnerable you know sure. you're you're to, you have to be able to and you know, we're local it's not like i've got billions of dollars and i'm sitting right. here like joe rogan that you can just say and do anything that you want right well we can right we could talk about anything we want can we not i'm sure but you got to be careful of uh who you say or who you imply because too many people can, can start to connect the dots right. next thing you know so no local gossip you're saying right but, but we could talk about national yeah. events at, at our will i end up with a severed squirrel on my welcome mat <laughs> right, right and that might happen anyways out here in reynolds <laughs> in the big city of reynolds 
So first impressions, what do you think of the building? The the radio bunker, as I would like to call it, is a, is a ex-Masonic lodge, and it's mind-blowing. Isn't it fun? Yeah, yeah. You're the first, like, outside the family. Right, to be able to see the bunker. That it's come in, and, and I got the reaction that I wanted, because I... Yeah. The old the uh, the Corinthian in downtown Sharon was a Masonic lodge at one time way back then. I it was, think I did know that. Yep. So my father was a Mason for he's, he's ninety five years old, and uh, he was a Mason for about thirty seconds in the forties mm-hmm. when he was eighteen years old. And he says there's a secret room upstairs. And I went down to Johnny Bianco who owns the Corinthian. He said, Yeah, I'll take you up. And you go up to the third floor, fourth floor, and at the top there's this tiny little five by five secret room there and apparently they would do this ceremony where they would ask you to do repeat all these things they blindfold you and then at the end of the ceremony they plow you in the face with this big pillow (laughs) and it not literally knocks you off your feet and that's supposed to be part of the it is part of the ceremony is it like the representation of death hitting uh, it may be something something, it is some representation of something so my dad said he goes yeah i was the Next to the last guy to have that done, I said, how do you know that? Then he said, because they, I went in and they did that to me. And he goes, and then they did it. To, you're not allowed to tell anybody when you come out. It has to be a surprise. Right. And then they did it to the next guy after me. This is in the mid-40s. And he had a heart attack. They blasted him in. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to carry him out in the stretch. And they're like, all right, we better not do that anymore. But <laughs> So that was his short, you know. But it, but that room, that building is the real Masonic Lodge with the secret rooms. And I don't know what those guys are, my, what those guys are about. But. My dad is uh, has been a lifelong member of the Lodge. My brothers are more recent in their adult life. Um, so I, you're the only one that's not a, not a subversive. I, 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 no. And it just isn't me from the very beginning. And I had enough of youth group. And that that pretty much, you know, once I got out of youth group, it's like I really didn't want to join any more what? clubs like that. You're re- you're equating you- church youth group to the Masons? Well, yeah, I am. All right, that's I a mean, big leap. All, what I, what yes, church? What church? I, I grew up Presbyterian. Okay, what Presbyterian church can we say? Yeah, Unity Presbyterian Church out in Greenfield. Okay, somewhere out there. All yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, I, Greenfield, I, Pennsylvania. I'm currently attending a Presbyterian church because I'm playing softball for the Presbyterian church, and they extort me. Yes. You have to go to church while you're playing softball. So you've always I, been one of those religious ringers. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, I would say my faith is real, but I am a yes. ringer. I am yeah. a ringer. I am a ringer at the Presbyterian church yeah. currently. Yeah, currently. Uh, right, right, right. Next so yeah, year, I was in youth group too. By the way, next season it might be Episcopalian. I'm going to retire probably before then, but this might be it. But that's a different subject. I uh, I was a youth Methodist youth group in Sharpsville. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we would uh, we would go on trips and occasionally smoke left handed tobacco mm-hmm. at the time on the youth trips on the mission trips mm-hmm. or the, not the mission trips but the outings. So yeah, I was the complete opposite. I was a good kid. I mean, I mean, I was a good kid. Now people will argue with that, right? And, and my family doesn't necessarily look at me that way, right? But I was. I was a good kid until I was 18. And then what happened? Uh, all hell broke loose. <laughs> I just, I went for it. I think that's common. A lot of people just, you know, you turn 18, you get out of the house, you want to do what you want to do. Yeah. I ended up very quickly married uh, by the time I was 21. Uh, baby on the way. Wow. After the baby was born, ended up in Orlando and uh, in the entertainment industry, of course. Start off at Church Street Station, ended up at uh, Disney. 
for a number of years. Doing what? Uh, when I left there, I was in the entertainment department. I was working equipment control, and I was one of the leads for different stage Disney productions. World. Yes. And I was actually at Epcot Center. Okay. So you're yeah. I, now, now I see why you have a little bit of a, uh, you're, you were talking about Disney on our way in here, showing me some stuff. So I, I see you have a little, you're, you're not necessarily a Disney fan these days, although they oh have no. gone, although they have taken a hard left turn here. Well, the funny thing is, is to, is to watch what has happened and how, cause it's generational. I mean, you know, you've got employees there. I mean, this is, it, it Disney's not a newer, it, it, it's a pretty well-established company and even within the theme parks. And so by the time, like my sister was also an employee there. And by the time we were there and then how it's progressed to now, I can look back on it and see the beginning stages of all that. Because mm. we ended up going to work there right after it basically used to be a family owned company. And then once it really became the Disney company and then Eisner came on board, it totally shifted. But I'll tell you what, it was a fantastic place to mm. work mm -hmm. and if i'd have stayed there i'd have already been retired very well off right but so you were right walt had the walt disney family whoever was roy roy i was gonna say roy so they had sold the place by the time you started they, well they were yeah they they i don't know if you'd say they yeah they sold but they were still within the company because right. roy went on to run the film department the film part of the company, I think the animation department for a while, then they shut it down before Pixar came along. Boy, I sound like I know something about Disney. <laughs> That's right. Do you think uh, they are a part of this, uh, th everything that's going on these days with yes. all these corporations, with the whole, the corporate the whole uh, great reset? Do you know about the whole great reset thing? Are you following that at all? Yeah. Yeah. It's another one, but yeah, this one's, yeah. Yeah, there's a, all the woke companies are now, at least from what I can study from it, are now no longer beholden to the shareholders or to the people. They're beholden to the stakeholders, the people that invest in right. them. And and so that's why we just see, I think we see decisions made with like Bud Light decisions and the Disney decisions that are being made. There. It's um, it's this whole, I, this, this, and it's all attached to this social credit right. system that they want to that must are you a glenn beck fan even. as well as a joe rogan fan? i so because yes, glenn beck yes, to me i love I, yes. he's my favorite well you don't know this but so the little station up here wgrp yeah i was part of that before it went back to being wgrp and it was a, a gentleman that owned it, it they, they were a christian station for a while then we made it more of an, a, a family friendly station well you know i knew that i worked for six months there Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I sold. I sold for no part time. Sold. Well, I'm there the for... one I'm put back on. <clears throat> okay. Because at the time, I just yeah. it was uh, yeah. He, okay. He was interesting, and I want. I to love be Glenn Beck bit... now. I think he's on the cutting edge of everything that's happening. Yeah. Nobody explains it better to me he, than him. He does. A, he really understands yes. what's happening. And Joe Rogan's kind of a guy that's been hard left for a long time. Now I would call him more center, and he's he's just now figuring stuff out, but. Glenn Beck's had it all figured out for a long time. I well, and the, and the thing about Rogan that I'm such a fan of is it just common sense. It's yeah. common sense conversation. Well, it, it, I think the reason he's so big is because he is a lefty that is now all of a sudden becoming more awake, and so the people on the left to watch him. And then he has these guests like Peter McCullough, who came in during COVID, who said, "Hey, wait a minute, what's going on with these shots?" And then so you get both sides. So to you and I, he would have been considered 
a left. And we've been around show business and these kind of people all of our radio right. careers. But we would have definitely 20 years ago considered Rogan to be a, a lefty. Yeah. The left, and he even says that. Right. And without a doubt. Yeah. And I mean, I have some. Uh, you know, you're more of a middle program. road the guy than I am. I'm a right. I'm a right, pretty hard right. At least that's what they would call me. You know, I could camouflage either way very, very easily because it, it's just that gray to me. Both sides of that. Um, I can. I, I don't even like to talk about political parties. I guess if I had to pick one, I would say I'm more libertarian. Um, but um, yeah. But going back to Rogan, the thing is, is that the left has gone so left that it's now made him a centerist. Yes, that's right. You know. Yep. I have a buddy who just ran for Mercer County Commissioner and he ran in the Republican Party, but he's a lifelong Democrat. And you know, and he said to me clearly, he said they asked me, "Why would you, you know, you've been a Democrat now, doesn't look something looks fishy about you running as a Republican?" He said, "Listen, the, I didn't leave the left. They left me." Mhm. Mm you know, they I, they no longer represent what I believe. Mhm. Mm and so uh I have been, uh, I am a student of, if we, can we go a little deeper? Sure, go. Okay. So I am, a, and have been all my life, a student of prophecy, of Bible prophecy. Mm -hmm. And so everything that I've been reading and listening to and books and the interviews that I do, I have a Sunday show I do on WPIC besides just my regular Wednesday night show. Most of those are guests focused on prophecy. And so I read the book and then interview the authors and I think we, I am under the impression that we are in a time period that the Bible has prophesied, that has predicted since way back when. And a lot of people just look and go, ah, that's crazy. You know, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't even know if the Bible's true. There's a whole lot of questions for that. But let me say this, within the community of which I consider myself to be a part of, almost everyone, the, the, the theologians and the guys that are smart enough to figure out what's going on, or at least think they are, all are under the impression that the convergence of the signs of what the Bible says must and will happen are now all here, unlike any time in history, and really not possible uh, any other time in history, not before we had a digital currency, not before all the things that are possible. So then there's these super signs that are going on right now. Uh, the Bible says that, uh, you know, that, that Euphrates River will dry up in the end of time. And then you see in the news, you know, every other day now I see a story, well, the Euphrates River just is now dried up. But that's one of hundreds of signs that, uh, that I see all coming true right now. It's just an interesting time. It may not be true. It may not be, you know, it may be true. It may not be true. But uh, what I see is a very unusual time. And what I see coming this next decade is a I think a decade unlike any other that we're going to see here before 2030. And honestly, to go back to politics, uh, I think, you know, in 2016, uh, evangelicals, people who think like I do, voted for Trump at about an 87% clip. In 2020, they voted for him at a 95% at a, at a clip. So I, of evangelicals, 95%. And I think a, a lot of it had to do with what I just said. Uh, that America first thing wasn't just about nationalism. It was about fighting a, a one world order that, that, uh, that Glenn Beck talks and does so eloquently talks about with the ESG and with the different things that are happening. But, but um, they see the evangelical saw Trump is not necessarily the best candidate ever, you know, kind of a, kind of a dick, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I can only listen to for so long. Oh, I, I, and, I, I, yeah. and I and I even feel bad for saying that because he's president. But but just hard to listen to. Sure. You know, hard to, you know, just to, everything about him was just difficult. And even now when I hear him talk, I'm like, all right, you don't have to, you know, you can, you don't, you're the president. You don't have to brag anymore. Just talk, you know. But what he was, what people saw him doing and why he even, and even though he, you know, lots of problems with everything that he has done in the past, he was what people saw as the one guy who understood that there was a onslaught of people that want to bring about a one world order that want to bring about a Marxist uh, ideal, whether it's the, what the Bible says is the end of times or not, either way, it's real becoming real obvious that, that there is, there are people who want to maybe bring America to its knees and bring about the, this one world order that there, and people saw Trump as the, uh, as the one guy that stood in the way of that. And I think that the, all the, the, what we've seen is what, two or three couple of uh, impeachment attempts already and all the things that go on, continue to go on that all turn out to be fake are evidence that somebody doesn't want him out there. I can't imagine people watching the news today and just, you know, like, you know, how can you get up in the morning and, and tune in to an hour of MSNBC I don't. Do you? every day? Do you? I don't, I've cut them. I don't, the mainstream no, team media is, me is compromised. Well, and it's all sides of it. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't matter. Fox, all of it. If I, if I'm compromised, go, if I'm going to go to a quick news source, I will, if, if the TV's on, I'll flip over. I will admit I'll flip the Fox before I'll flip anybody else, but it's compromised, but it, absolutely, it's absolutely. And, and well, and Beth Ann. So my background, Beth Ann is my, um, emotional support life partner. That's how right. we've decided to okay. start describing our relationship. I mean, it's, it's all based in love and affection, but she's emotional my, support, emotional she's support, emotional support, life partner. So ESLP, ESLP, she's your ESLP. That's easier. I, I should probably, you're, yeah, you're welcome. I'll, you're welcome. Well, I'll work on Yeah. Thank you. I'll work on cue <laughs> cards. And if I do the t-shirt, you'll get a percentage. Yeah. ESLP. I like it. I do too. Um, but so here's, let's go back to Disney. So I, I had a little bit of, a little bit. I, I was introduced to professional entertainment on a film and music scale. I, I, and we'll talk about that someday later. But when I was in high school and shortly out of high school, and then things went awry. And, and if you need to cough, just say, and okay. I'll hit the button okay. for you. Um, but anyway, so it wasn't until I, you know, 21 Pushing 22, I ended up at Disney. And the first year I was at Disney, I was already into it. Pretty, you know, I mean, it's a great company to work for. Started off working in operations. You had to do six months in operations before I get to the department that I wanted to get to, similar to like the military, because it was all built and engineered and structured, really? corporately structured like by military. the military. Yeah, really? it was. Oh, yeah. Huh. Disney Interesting. hired all, oh, there was the relationship between Disney and the military, World War II. Weird. It's all, it's fascinating to, to, to look at and mm-hmm. to study. Um, but anyway, um, I ended up, uh, the first year that I was there, I went and we were invited. We got a ticket in our paycheck and I was invited on a specific night to go to the Christmas parade and it's September. And then it hit me. It's like, oh, okay, well, they're going to do the Christmas parade and we're, you know, they're going to shoot it. So right. obviously I right. knew that going in, but then when I went in, 
And I saw that there were like two or three different nights that they were doing this and all the employees have been invited and different employees were getting picked out and they were getting dressed a different way. And the entire thing was completely and totally staged. It hit me like a ton of bricks. That was like my Saul on the road, the Damascus moment or whatever. Everything is fake. Nothing is real. Would they? I'm confused. This was a parade. Yeah. So what was Christmas, it? So just think they're already rehearsing it. They're getting it ready for the Christmas season. So before they open up and you're heading into the Christmas season, and when they would open it up, they would film it, and okay. so it'd be like three nights of dress. And so rehearsal. why did that shake your reality? Wouldn't you think that that's what they would do? I prep did, prep the, everything at Disney. But when you're in it. And you see how it's done. And then the final product, you know, you get up with the family and it's Christmas Eve and right. you watch the parade that you saw and you see how it was done and how it's presented. Right. And it was just filmed all of a in sudden, September. And yeah, oh, yeah. yeah and right. all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, nothing's real. You know, and that's pretty so that made much you start to question everything that went on? Everything through my entire Including life. Including the news? Everything. Everything. Okay. I started seeing it for the performance art that it is look do you think everything is like that now because i'm just now i've i'm kind of just now within the last maybe six months decided that i i don't really think i'm on the right anymore i think it's all been a false choice for the last maybe 50 years elections everything has kind of been a staged for us and i'm I'm you know in the media everything that's going on now i'm I'm beginning to realize that it's kind of all being staged yeah you that's know. how I feel about and it. And is there any wonder that there are conspiracy theorists and everything else? I mean, when you look at Obama accepting, you know, and saying his thank you to the nation, and he's mm-hmm. standing in the middle of a stadium amongst ruins that look like Greek columns that have all fallen. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. you know, why wouldn't you go crazy? Yeah. And how crazy is it now that you and I are having this conversation and you start talking about prophecy and your belief in the prophecy and your belief in the Bible and things like that. And that today is way more taboo than oh, yeah. way right. easier you to can't, sit here and talk about aliens. This is the only That's place you believable. can. I think it all ties in, by the way. I think, well, the, so I, I. I think the aliens yeah. and the biblical stuff tie in. Sure. Sure. All right. We're going to, let's talk about that next or now. Well, we can go. I mean, what do you believe? What do you think aliens are? <clears throat> Cause I, I have a real specific idea of what I think. It just depends on what rabbit hole, because I mean, it's like pick a door for me, you know, pick a door and then I can talk about it. Uh, You know, I'm of the school of belief that it's just, it it just happens. It just happens to be it way too coincidental. I would hope to God that if we had aliens that were here and visiting us, and messing with our military and doing everything that they could to make themselves known, that they would be intelligent enough to put us on some sort of a right track. But that doesn't seem to be happening. So therefore, I have a tendency deep down in the core of my belief to be very, very skeptical of all of this that is going on as well. All of what? You're saying all the evidence that's happening, the pictures that we see now from the Air Force and the meetings they had last year, you think... I believe more in a lost civilization that goes way, way back before our modern history. I have easier time believing in that than I do right now. And aliens coming from a far off planet. It's too coincidental. So do you think that all the events that have happened here over the last 50 years, the the sightings and the pictures and the 
air pilots that have been saying this is what we saw is is that real is it deception is it just, i think it's a, i think well i think it's real to some people that are seeing it but what we are seeing and what here's one of my my favorite examples that i have personally in my life um so we both grew up when interstate 80 went in uh through pennsylvania right i remember it pretty well i mean it was a big deal because we lived out on 318 and driving down into west middlesex huh. they were putting in that overpass and everything and that was a you know so i remember i mean really really so interstate 80 and hearing interstate 80 was about a mile from our house you know and you could hear that was a new sound that was introduced into our lives because we were out in the middle of this farmland and all of a sudden you heard the traffic going up and down but also what came with interstate 80 was something that we didn't you didn't anticipate and you didn't know and nobody was writing about in the paper in those days it was a summer night we're sitting out on the my parents had just built a back deck i was probably a preteen. there was a hum it was dark you couldn't see but it wasn't completely pitch black but it was enough that you really you couldn't quite see but you could see the lights and you could hear the hum and my mother went completely berserk and locked herself in the bathroom and she was just bound and determined that there was a UFO hovering out over, you know, the woods. And then went on and we're looking at it and we were all nervous and we were all scared and we had already talked ourselves into the fact that we were witnessing a UFO. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, nowhere the Goodyear limp mm. lights went on. Mm. And then you could see Goodyear. that it was the Goodyear that's blimp funny. and it was following Interstate right. So but you think that, that moment, do you think those, that's what's happening all around the world? With those are just but, accidental, uh, but, I, or but, maybe it's military st stuff that's being tested that people I think are UFOs. I, I think I think it's a little bit of everything. I think there's opportunity there to twist things. There's opportunity. It's, it's too vol too voluminous these days. I think to be discounted as just now, accidental. There's so many people that have. As I had experiences that it's hard for me to just say, ah, it's, you know, well, it's and my uncle once told me that he saw one when he, he was a farmer, a ton of people you know, have told me they've seen and something. he, he saw something that he couldn't explain. Yeah. You know, um, I've never seen one. You know, about now, the one in Brookfield, supposedly the one landed up in Brookfield. They made a dot, made a, one of the documentary shows about it. I've tried to reach that family. There was a cop that was involved up there and he saw it and. That's they a, landed on a farm in Brookfield, supposedly, and then took off, and the cops saw them and followed you're, them. And, you're dinging a bell in my yeah, memory. Yeah, about 25 years ago. They did a TV show on it here about 20 years ago. But uh, So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I have, I have some real specific thoughts about it. No, I want to believe. Yeah, right. I do. Well, I see I have a – so uh, I've interviewed him a couple times on a regular radio show that I do. Uh, there's a guy named L.A. Marzulli who spends his life uh, studying – studying this and some some ancillary things around like indian mounds and different kinds of things love that stuff yeah and i just did a small story on a indian mound in brookfield and the guy that actually advertises in my paper and called me said what are you doing i said what he said i own that indian mound quit telling people about it in the paper he said i don't want a bunch of people out there digging around in my <laughs> on my spot right but they're right near a yankee run golf course there's an actual indian mound there and there was burial there and there's probably artifacts who knows what's in there but uh, so L.A. LA Marzilli does all that kind of stuff, and I've, I've had an opportunity to read his books and interview him. He was originally on the Ancient Aliens show. And so, but he, like I, had a biblical worldview, and they kicked him off because they didn't like his biblical worldview. It's not popular, and people don't like that these days. 
but he spent time when they would do these uh, in, these people that would have abductions or a- aliens would show up at their house. He would whatever. He decided that he was like people. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna interview them, the people that had these abductions or said they had abductions, saw what they saw, or actually had a visitation from this interdimensional being or whatever they were. And what he found was that almost everybody that he, and this is what changed my uh, uh, view of it all, what he found that it was almost all of those people that had a visitor were dabbling in the occult. And then all of a sudden, so they're opening up these doors to the demonic, and I don't, you know, whether people believe that or not, I happen to. Uh, but they were opening up the doors to the demonic, and then all of a sudden, after they were doing all these occult practices, this being would show up and go, oh, by the way, I'm an interdimensional being, and I'm here to visit, yada, yada, yada. And uh, what he also found was that these supposed <laughs> aliens, sorry about that. oh, sorry, uh, what he also found was that these supposed aliens would leave. They would be there. They would do. They would be able to have these powers over people. But at the name of Jesus, they would stop and flee. And that really made him think, why on earth would an alien, someone from another planet, care about, you know, your God, our God? Uh, so he believes that, and I do as well, from listening to him, that these are actually demonic deceptions, that this is a uh, – that. that what people believe are interdimensional beings kind of are that that angels and fallen angels can travel between the heavens and the earth, and that uh, this is actually a deception that is go- that is going on and has been continuing to go on. And there are some uh, indications in the Bible of all of that. So, which leads me to two things. So that that would be another door, of if I had to pick the door and what avenue to get out. So that's the other one, and I think about that quite often. And I think sometimes um, what we're calling aliens now, what the Bible calls demons. Or Nephilim. <clears throat> yeah, I've, I've heard that word. Don't know it, but I have heard that <clears throat> word before. Um, but, uh, you know, and the thing is, through humanity and, and the, you know, communication continually developing and changing. I mean, I can see how these can so easily interact and be and mesh together to be mm-hmm. you know now you know my father me growing up uh with an art background my art teacher at sharpsville <clears throat> high school yeah i didn't take art but he was there yeah i had no artistic ability well, but my dad taught um a lot about the the renaissance and those and and the renaissance artists and the artists leading up to the renaissance the italian renaissance is probably my father's favorite period but there's so much of that art that is open to religious interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so if you're into things like ancient aliens and things like that, you're going to start to see these pieces of, of artwork with UFOs in the background and, and certain beams of light. And mm-hmm. why did they do that? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, without, you know, I'm by no means an intellect in these areas, but these are all things that I find to be very, very fascinating and very, very interesting. I think they're all connected, too. Yeah, I, here's what I see. I, uh, the more I, at least, you know, you, you, we all have a tendency to see things through the colored glasses that we have put on. Right. So we, we, view, we view the events that happen around us uh, through the worldview that we already have. Mm-hmm. So I, I have, a you know, what is a traditional biblical worldview, although I think a lot, I don't think a lot of people in the church 
believe like I do a lot of the stuff I believe. I think there's some stuff going on that people are kind of naive to that it's happening. But so we all see that, you know, all the whole world through, through that view. And I, I, that's what I have seen, you know, over the, I lost my track, my train of thought, but that's basically what I have seen through, through the eyes of, I see everything through that biblical worldview going back to it. It's all connected. I remember what I was going to say, uh, that we are in a, the Bible says that it's not against flesh and blood that we that we uh, are battling against it that we are in, but it's actually principalities. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, unknown to I think most of us, a lot of what is happening, especially what is happening now, why people go, why is it so crazy in the world right now? Why is it so weird? What is happening? What that confusion uh, lends me to believe that there is something spiritual happening in the world. Uh, that is uh, that with a lot of people without spiritual discernment, without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to understand the things that are happening spiritually. You just can't, the natural man can't see it. So I believe that what we are seeing, what we're experiencing, and a ramping up, and I'll call it an early end times ramping up of uh, spiritual things, uh, is that uh, all of those things, aliens, a lot of what's going on with the governments, a lot of what's happening with the World Economic Forum, with uh, people that have plans to try to to bring the world to into this one world government have all been prophesied for since a thousand years before Jesus. And here's the thing: the Bible's not batting nine hundred; the Bible's batting a thousand. Jesus fulfilled three hundred prophecies. So some of these prophecies, and this is what what to me is the evidence of why this biblical worldview is the right view, because impossible. You can't say one in a billion chance, one in a million. It's one in impossible that Jesus fulfilled what he fulfilled. 300 prophecies of his life, how he would die, that there would be a spear stuck in his side, that no bones would be broken, the city that he would come from, the city that he would live in, how he would die, hung on a cross. Hung on a cross was prophesied in Isaiah in 750, Dana. The Romans hadn't even invented crucifixion yet. Bible said it would happen. So all these these 300 things, and there are guys who have done, oh, you know, the, what are the odds of a guy fulfilling eight, somebody fulfilling eight prophecies 300, 700 years from now? It's one in billions. Well, one in 300 is just one in impossible. So the Bible's got this unbelievable record that says, look at all this stuff. And people say, oh, well, Jesus read the Old Testament. He tried to fulfill them. But there were, you know, it's stupid stuff. They would gamble for his clothing. Bible talks about that at way, that that that, they, that when he was dead, that they would gamble. He was they had a nice robe and they gambled for it. That they would stick a spear in his side, but not break his bones. Break his bones was important. He came as a sacrifice for a lamb. And if you went in Israel and you offered a lamb as a sacrifice for the people for your own sins, if the bone was broken, it wasn't acceptable. So that was all a part of it. So that is where we are with Bible. It's got this amazing prophetic history, batting a thousand. So now we have all these end time prophecies, right? And so the Bible says that Israel would be, it talks a lot about, mostly about Israel in the end of days. Well, in 70 AD, the Romans came in and sacked Israel and people 1200 said, Bible's obviously false. There's no Israel. There's no Jerusalem. It's not coming back. What do you think? The Mayans are going to come back? What what civilization that has disappeared has come back? It doesn't happen. Well, the Bible said that Israel was going to be born in the day. And so all the way in for 13, 15, 17, 1800, people went, ah. Then guess what? 1948, 
boom, Israel was born in a day, all of a sudden, just bang, out of nowhere. And people are like, oh, well, that's a early prophecy. And been nothing but a growing thorn in the side the Bible, of the world. The Bible says a stumbling block. That's right. Stumbling Israel block. being a thorn, same thing, yeah. will become a stumbling block. So all those prophecies that must and will happen, to go back to our, my point of all, mm -hmm. of, the, of it, all of this to being related, all of those things uh, that, that are happening with Israel and with what's going to happen in the future, the Bible predicts all kinds of real specific things that will happen to Israel. Uh, countries that will come in uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Bible lists the countries that will come against Israel in a war. It's Turkey, Iran, Russia, Syria, all those Muslim countries that are right now surrounding Israel are going to come against Israel in a war. And it's so there are hundreds of real specific predictions that that right now seem like happen every day in the news. Mm-hmm. And so, and so what we're seeing, what we see in this world is the Bible says that in, in the end, and we may be five years from, from those things that are prophesied, or we may be a hundred years. We don't know. But what, what, what we're seeing is a culmination, I think, of, of, of a spiritual battle that has been written since the beginning of time and is now seems to be coming to a head and I don't think people discern it as the spiritual battle that it is. They see it in a natural light. They just see it in the easy to, to because that's a scary, crazy thing to think about and to, uh, to comprehend and to, to digest. People just want to see things as a natural order. Don't screw up my plans. My kids are only in college age. I don't want, you know, that, that is not a comfortable message. What I, everything I just said for most people, it scares people. Uh, I am under the impression that we are created and not evolved and that God places us where he will place us. And you and I could have been alive in the 15, could have been monks in the 1500s or we could have been, but I am under the impression that God places us in a time period in history where he will place us and that he gives us the talents and the abilities and the things that we need to do to handle those things in our lives that uh, he gives us the gifts to be able to do things. So I'll, I've been talking too much. Go ahead. No, no. You brought me to a perfect point, though, because um, <clears throat> so. That's all pretty deep, I know. You didn't know we were going this deep, I don't think. Um, no, I had, I, I had zero agenda whatsoever. I mean, none. I'm a little bit uh, prophecy obsessed. So well, I, well and that, but, but there's why, it, yeah, again, why, why not be? I mean, the proof is kind of in the pudding. I mean, we were, both, we were both raised very much the same way. We yep. kind of look at the world the same way. Let's just, for the sake, just even for the sake of this conversation, let's just assume that what you are saying is the absolute truth. All right. So living in these end times, how do we conduct ourselves as human beings and how do we conduct ourselves as families? Hmm. You know, because, I mean, is this a time that we are supposed to be gnashing of the teeth? And just in and just in complete and total, you know, remorse and throwing our, you know, right. basically flogging ourselves and rolling around right. in ashes, right? Or you know, um, one of the do I'm we submit saying, or do we fight? Too that's been my question lately. So and there's all kinds of different ways of fighting, you know, and that's where it kind of comes back to me with humor because. Gosh darn it, that was one of the things that has been just attacked uh, 
to, to no end here through the COVID and through everything else. And so, you know, so the question is how do we, what do we do? How do we, do we act do and react to I all mean, this? Sure. Prayer is something. I, Meditation I, yep. is very important. Yep. Quiet time, you know, appreciation. You could say all of the, those, the, the, the easy things, but yeah. What, what do you think? I mean, what, what is, well, how do we go about this? I, I, I think that, uh, that to be without a real faith in these times in this next decade. And, you know, there's that whole, what Trump pulled us out of was a lot of different organizations that were there. The agenda right now for those that are the one worlders is a 2030 agenda. That's been a really big, that's what the agenda is. It's they want to try to accomplish all the things that they want to accomplish, bring about a one world order, all those things by 2030. That's been the goal. And so uh, we're, this coming decade, I think we're going to begin to see some things happen exponentially, rapidly, very quickly that we're going to make our heads spin with the economy, with the dollar right now, everything that's going on there. We're headed for a difficult de decade, I believe. Uh, if you ever, do you know about a book called The Fourth Turning? No. We'll come back to it. Okay. So <clears throat> uh, I think uh, without a personal faith during this next period, it's going to be a very exceedingly difficult time to be alive. Uh, for me, I have a, a personal faith in God and his son. Uh, the Bible says that when you do that, when you have a personal faith, that actually the, the, the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit coming and dwells you, actually comes into your heart and dwells you. And it's a very spiritual uh, experience. And I think that uh, that the only, the best and the only real way that people are going to be able to get through this period that we're entering is to have a personal relationship with God uh, and through his son who died on the cross and rose again for us. And and uh, the leading of the spirit, I think it's going to be a one day at a time leading of the spirit. Uh, you, you, like you said, prayer. Uh, but I, I feel like without the leading of the Holy Spirit in this decade and in these next decades, uh, it's going to be exceedingly difficult to know what is happening because I think things are going to, you know, with, with the whole AI explosion, which everybody's warning, holy crap, it could be, you know, People, the guys I've been reading about prophecy have been writing about artificial intelligence for 30 years and saying, how does it tie into the end times? So all these little things that seem unrelated, like you said, are now all of a sudden all related. And, and it's a, it's really a, and, that, well, and, and you understand too, that this whole art, IA artificial intelligence thing is, it's like an oxymoron to itself. It's not because it, it, it's being programmed by us right. and it's going right. to take the best the worst and whatever it's this is just you're not buying the whole it could become sentient thing no what's with all and the guys yeah i haven't got a handle on it but what's with all the guys that developed it right and have you caught it recently within the last just yesterday or two days ago oh, one of the big developers stuff. said all the guys <clears throat> that developed it said whoa this is really bad but they're all saying this has terrible potential well, it, i i don't I, I don't understand it i know i, I I remember a story, and I think it was even like on 60 Minutes, and this was back in the 90s when they were starting to first build these supercomputers, and they basically took two of these chess-playing supercomputers and put them up against each other. Right. And they started playing chess, but while they were, I mean, in the instant, they and, and of course, they're playing games. You know, it's not like they're moving one move at a time. It's it, it's just multiple games happening, you know, at, at rapid, rapid rates of speed, and um, but in the meantime, in between all of this too, they were developing their own language 
so that they immediately then began and immediately scared everybody in the room. And, right, they developed and, their own way to communicate without being yeah, programmed. Without being programmed. Right. They began shortcutting, basically, you know, ways of... And so, I mean, this has been going on. I mean, yeah, well, and again, what is to say what ascension? I mean, I... I and I don't want to seem like, like such a cynic because I'm not, but you know what I believe in... Um, you know, plant something in the ground, it grows. Take care of your family, hug your kids, love all that stuff. Because mm -hmm. all of this stuff that's being put in front of us right now on these little double boxes all over the place is somebody with an agenda somewhere. I mean, I'm doing this because I have an agenda. I mean, which so is it's what? human what's, nature. What's the agenda? Uh, to see what happens. Mm. So I'm an old radio it's a good guy. agenda. Yeah. I'm an old radio guy that loves music. And so the music part of this that we're doing um, is basically spotlighting music that's all within a, a day's drive of Greenville, Pennsylvania, we'll say, the middle of Mercer County. I want to do a, I, I, I'd like this talk part of the program to become, um, open it yeah, up to anybody just... to just come in and just to sit down and talk i want to talk about venues i want to talk about entertainment i want to talk about church I not with me about... you're going to get deeper you're we're going deep you're getting well, me I, here well that's what we I, you knew that you probably knew that uh, yeah it's kind yeah. of what yeah. yeah well listen i think what you're doing here is great and this conversation has been great as well i mean uh I think you have you should be doing what this this kind of stuff with people. People need to hear people having yep. conversations. Yep. It's so funny because yep. now we talk about prophecy, but it was just again, it was my kind of cynical view of looking at. We saw the radio industry completely change. Mm. I mean, that's just, and, and and what killed me, what disillusioned me with radio, was and it frightened me the whole time that I was doing it was watching the consolidation of information being. I mean, just going to a point. I, mean, we I don't all, think it's done. Oh, no. Cumulus, we sold not. off our towers. Can you imagine a radio? <laughs> we have, what, 630? I work at Cumulus, Youngstown. <clears throat> and we have 630 stations nationwide. It's second to iHeart and, and mm -hmm. second biggest. Right. But we just sold off last year all of our towers, and now we rent our own towers. I'm thinking, how bottom bargain basement can you get when you're selling off your towers? I'm. It, 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 you know what? And you, I'll... I'll use the name and, and if you say i shouldn't then i'll I'll, edit it I'll take it out yeah. but um the first time that i feel like that i met i was looking through the window into the soul of hell was when i met the dickey brothers <laughs> <laughs> I, I had never met them but you did tell people I, who they are tell, yeah well that was cumulus right. they were were they twins they were brothers i don't know who knows i it never was, met them, I, I remember yeah. i remember they ended up in people magazine but that was when that whole takeover that whole thing started over there because i was part of the staff at uh y103 at the time mm -hmm. and uh they came rolling into town and and i loved that old staff i mean it was still kind mm -hmm. of hometown youngstown mm -hmm. radio but then the dickies came into town with their corporate whatever the drones I think it's that's and, happened and across america there. well oh. they stood there but that was that was i had seen enough documentaries on cult leaders that they <laughs> i didn't i wish i could have met him now that you dude, say it like that they, were they were know, they scary what do you mean they were it, like weird it, it, the, every, the whole room all the your sudden, hair on your arms went up everybody in the room all of a sudden turned to them like they like they had like magical powers were, uh, yeah and this whole room, the energy shifted, and and I couldn't. And I'm looking at people, and I'm because so, all of a sudden everybody became plastic, 
You know, it was, uh, huh. it was like that one canoe Reeves movie, you know, where he keeps seeing all the people. He was the lawyer with, uh, Al Pacino. Yeah. 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 Well, he, Pacino's the devil. Yeah. Yeah. That's a movie yeah. that should be shown at churches, by the way, for an adult audience. <laughs> right. And then, well, you think it was just, they were, people were just a little bit intimidated because well, these sure. guys were owners or whatever, but, but you're saying there was something else well, weird there. Was there was just something else that was yeah. weird. And it's like, and not only, you know, and, 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 and huh. while, and while they're getting ready to, you know, slash and burn and cut and, 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 you know, take away money out of your pocket, but they're doing this with a big old smile on their face. And it just, it would, it was so plastic. It was so soulless, you know, and that that's was what my, radio has that, become. That's well, for yeah, sure. That was my first experience at it. I mean, yeah. the create, there was nothing creative. There was nothing about what we were going to do. There was nothing about your community. You know, it was, yeah, and then you saw what happened. I mean, there was jail terms and there was stock issues and, but yeah. When we, when they did the deregulation, you know, uh, I, they taught us in college that the strength of America is before they st really, when they still kind of taught some things in college now, it's just indoctrination, but, uh, they taught us that the strength of America was, was a lot of things, but one of the main strengths of America was the, was the, uh, striation of the media was the different kind of media. you know at the time right, right. you were allowed to own seven radio stations sure. that was it right you know and i thought well you know that's right and then when clinton deregulated that whole thing i remember being the only one and i probably i think i was working at part-time at least in wpic at the time i was like going hey wait a minute this is gonna be bad oh, really bad real bad for america yeah. and for radio but more important for america you know you start to allow these monopolies of voices and then now we're here and I'm not going to be surprised if we're not done here. And again, that this next decade, I think, is going to get even especially economically difficult. I wouldn't be surprised to see that it, I heart buy cumulus or, or even down to where there's maybe one or two companies that own 90%. And that's almost the case now. But I wouldn't be surprised to see cumulus get bought by some by I heart and then really be, you know, only a couple of people really pulling the strings and all of that. That's kind of what's going on in in all the media. Mm -hmm. Six companies own eighty percent of the major media now. Well, and everything's you know? become McDonald's. I mean, remember when you could go from city to city, and every city had their own personalities, and every news, everything had its own feel. Mm -hmm. And now it's, you know, you've seen those montages yep. where they they put up Mockingbird. You mean yeah, Operation Mocking, Mockingbird? That, it's just that's exactly. That's a script for maybe people listening who don't know what that is. There is a just Google it. You might have a tough time finding it, but uh, because the powers that be don't like you to see it. But uh, Operation Mockingbird was a script that came down from up above somewhere to hundreds of little local Fox stations and little stations that say uh, there is some information going on right now that is dangerous to democracy. And then they begin to show that you know in Atlanta, in Sacramento, in Youngstown, in Albany all saying the exact same words in the exact same script and showing you that, that that what you think is coming out of your little local station is not, it's coming out of a, you know, and that's happened across America. I, I just heard a doctor yesterday say part of the problems with going on with the health system is that, that all the hospitals have been bought up mm -hmm. and now somebody's running them and they, they silenced doctors during COVID mm -hmm. doctors that said there was a problem with the shot or with this or with that or mask or don't wear your mask for 12 hours a day. It's going to deplete your oxygen. We're allowed to say any of those things. And he and she was saying there's a group of doctors. I wish I had a name for you, but I just watched a video by them. And uh, redacted, it's called. If you look on redacted, it's uh, there's a there. But she was saying that the problem is that now we're all terrified because we're all corporately owned, mm -hmm. and they run us. 
and they, you know, they dictate what we say. So I think you've seen that, you know, in all kinds of different fields besides just radio. So the masses, you know, are are going to continue to go one way, but I, I still think you're going to start to see more and more little pockets, like little small communities. Right now, what a mar- what what an opportunity to be a legit um, small town doctor. That everybody Those loves. Those guys are disappearing, though. I know, and there's a They're reason g- for that. But there's a, th- that needs to come back. Well, now what what's taking the place of that is your online medical. Yep. I know a lot of great doctors. I, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but I know several uh, doctors and nurse practitioners that have gone that route. Go and, online, uh, totally yeah, online, and and feel like they're actually practicing medicine. I would think that. I mean, I think that's a great alternative but seems to me that if you're if you're gonna do if you're really gonna have a good diagnosis you need to see somebody i want somebody to touch me yeah i don't know about that well you know what i mean (laughs) i know i mean it's weird there there were a lot of years though that the only yeah the only kind of uh but you gotta you gotta see you gotta i mean if you're diagnosing somebody to me you gotta be able to when we were raised and we were kids it was known as the craft it was the craft of medicine, right? You know, it was considered more of an art. You're saying it was an art, an art it slash science. Art. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, yeah. I my... saw Doctor Stapiola, and he knew the whole family, and he knew exactly what you know. And you sat on his. I, I, and... He was my doctor as well, Doctor Stapiola. He was everybody's. Right, doctor he was everybody's. My brother had a what he he had a rash on his back, and he went in and it, 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 they called it. He he said the doctor said to him. I laughed. He goes, "Yeah, we'll call it shingles." That's what the doctor <laughs> said to him. Yeah, he said, "All right, well, okay, you know." And, but we don't. He didn't know, you know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But that's funny. So, yeah, yeah. Doctor Stapiola just hit me. He's pretty much the Abraham of the Shenanga Valley. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Everybody, he was everybody's every, child, uh, children's yeah, doctor. Yeah. Everybody, all, yeah. all roads lead to Doctor Stapiola. I have a, I have a picture of him. I put in. The, I publish a little newspaper called The Way It Was. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, called it. We can if you want to go into that a little. You'll like the backstory of that of that paper. Uh, but I put a picture of him in, uh, in the uh, paper, and then I have a, a Facebook page called The Way It Was Newspaper Companion Page. You can check it out on Facebook. And it's funny because it allows me when I do it on Facebook to see what people like. Right. You know, I, you then that. I can put it into the paper. It's kind of a test market stuff that I'm a big sports fan and it's stuff that I think is great. Maybe only get a couple thousand views and then I'll just slap up a picture of Treasure Island. It'll get 25 or 30,000 views and 400 comments and 500 share. People love stuff that they know that they, they know about her. And then for some reason, stores. Little Italy, recently I slapped up an old ad from Little Italy and Hermitage there, and people just go crazy for for that kind of stuff. So I had a picture of Dr. Stapilo on there, and I, hundreds of people in the valley were like, oh, mm-hmm. he was a great guy. He was my dog. I love Dr. Stapilo. All that great He had a stuff. hip office. It was like that house down there under the trees. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. On uh, I don't remember the road. Across from the hospital there. It'll was, come to me. I want to say was, Elm, but that's not right. It might have been Elm. Yeah. As a kid, I can remember my mom yeah, taking us in there. <laughs> let me uh, let me regale you with the, this is the... Well, so the way it was, Yeah, I've uh, we've all grown up with that paper. Yep. And then a few years back, it's been a while now, but uh, when I found out that you took it over, mm-hmm. I was so tickled because I couldn't think of anybody that i knew in my circles and and that i'd run across that would that would go after it with as much passion 
is what you have. And you've done yeah. just a terrific job. Thank you. That. I appreciate those kind words. That's nice. It's, well, it's, it's kind of a surprise that I ended up with it, but uh, I'm actually a little envious. Well, no, I don't have yeah, that you, kind it, of work, but I'm a little, I, I love that idea. I love. Yeah. yeah I, I just fell into it. And in, in what in a it. niche and it's quirky and it's fun and it's right up your alley. So let me, this is what is going to, what is a newspaper is actually a, is really a radio story. So it's kind of, it's all intermixed there, but it's, it's just the paper has been owned by three radio guys. So, which is kind of weird. And there is, I promise there is no other newspaper that was born like this one was born. And I'll give you the short, long version of it. Uh, let me regale you. Can you, later in editing, you can put some uh, dramatic music in right here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'll, I'm I'll, just kidding. Uh, it all started. No, I probably and, will. Okay. <laughs> Great. It all started in 1954 when a young man took the microphone at WFAR Studios in Farrell. Of course, WPIC had already been on the air since... I'm, I'm, I can't do the dramatic story anymore, but... That's uh, okay. WFAR, the very first um, DJ ever that cracked the mic at WFAR was a guy named Lou Russell. Oh, I remember that. Yes, I okay. remember that name. So Pan's... Are, Panzarella was his name. Of course, you couldn't have a real Italian name back then, so you had to. He was Lou Russell, and a lot of people in the valley were very fond of Lou Russell, WFAR guy for many years, and he was a WPIC guy. But he was a, like yourself, actually. You would probably love Lou Russell. He was a Renaissance man. He had a restaurant that was underneath Thornton Hall for a while, where he cooked Italian food. But he was a concert promoter. He he promoted bands. He's the guy that brought all the Letterman concerts to kennedy christian all those years and then he did big pretty big uh motown and different bands into youngstown all around the region i it, for some reason it popped into my head because i go back to the days of um jim sims productions mm -hmm. and i think i remember meeting him lou russell then, yeah okay when he was the one like right in there doing radio commercials for the letterman maybe or something <clears throat> i remember but that's where i yeah so uh Lou is, uh, he's does, does everything and he's promoting bands all around the area. He's the advertising, promoting them. It's what you do. Uh, and he has a band called the bell boys and inside the bell boys were these guys that dressed like in a black vest and dressed like bell boys, but, and with the, he, the Beatles haircuts and they're playing late fifties of surf music. And, and, uh, there's a guy named Tony C in the band. That's the front guy in the band. And Tony C loves Lou Russell. And he just wants to do what he's doing. So, so Lou Russell gets Tony C a job at WFAR, and he's one of the early guys, and not early, but one of the guys people knew about WFAR and later in WPIC. And uh, uh, Lou Russell invented in 1974, which will be 50 years next year. Lou Russell invented the free classified shopper in 1974. Mm -hmm. His offices were next to the where La Eastley is now. At the time, it would have been well, the Red Barn would have been gone, but but there's a building to the left as you face where La Isla is now. There's a big offices there. He had upstairs offices there, and he published the Free Classified Shopper. And at some point along, he moved out west, and he sold the Free Classified Shopper to Tony C., radio guy. And Tony C. had a lot of plans and was a mover and a shaker, and he created four or five newspapers out of it. There was the Senior Shopper the free classified shopper. And then he invented in 1987, the way it was newspaper. And, uh, but this story, but let me just back up. 
this how that came about was which what blows my mind he was a dj and he would have these dances at sharon american legion in the 90s these 50s dances and a thousand people would show up i remember being out and around at the bars and they'd be like there was a thousand people old people 40s right. you know, i'm I a 20 year old kid and i think he did summer uh casino dances yes yeah because there wasn't a lot going on no in the casino no. in those days but he was doing these oldies dances uh with the guy named jim bickle <laughs> I and know that they, yeah, too. Bickle's a Mercer guy. Yeah. And they both had these massive collections of 45s. No matter what song you could come up with, Dwayne Eddy's B-side of a B-side, Jimmy Rogers, whatever rocker you had, he they had it all. And so they decided to start to call these dances the way it was. Just before he had the paper. And it, they, a thousand people would show up and they're making a killing and they would make it. So they said, okay, Tony being the entrepreneur he was, he already had the newspaper. He said, what, what's next? He, they said, uh, Tony said, I'm going to open up some malt shops, call them the way it was. So in the Sharpsville Plaza, down from Lock, Stock and Barrel and in Mercer, he had not long, he had a malt shop. So he went from a DJ dance, whatever you want to call it, record hop to a malt shop. And then he said, oh, I love this. this is, people love this. We're going to do a show on WPIC. Sundays, Bickle and Tony, see, they bring all their 45s in the way it was on Sundays. Finally, Tony already had the papers. He said, okay, now I've got all this whole big, uh, you know, uh, monopoly going on here. We're going to, I'm going to make a newspaper called the way it was. And so that's how the way it was, was born. And of course, the way it was newspaper is the only thing standing from the way it was, was empire. Right. But I can't admit, you know, there's no way any newspaper in the planet has ever uh, evolved that way. And so the, the final stage was finally Tony had a stroke uh, about 10 years ago, 2012 now, almost 12 years ago. Uh, I was working in radio, and he said to me one day, do you want to sell for me in, for the way it was? And I said, no. And he said, do you want to buy the newspaper? And I said, absolutely not. And then I changed my mind, and I bought the paper. So I went from one radio guy to the next radio guy to a third radio guy. And that's the story of the way it was. There was, a, there was another newspaper in the area that uh... – Back in the early 2000s, and it was a penny saver or something. I don't remember what. Paper. Probably the free classified shopper. It was still around when I bought the paper in 2012. Maybe. It had headlines that said free classified shopper, senior Maybe shopper. The way was, it was. I'd have to ask my Still brother. the same paper. I killed Maybe. it in 2012. I was like, I know we're getting rid of all that and just keeping the way it was. Well, somebody had approached us about one of the papers, or we had kicked around. Mm. And it, I think it was more sports related. Uh, well, there was a way it was sports back then. Hmm. So Tony had four or five papers that he was doing. I'll have to ask my brother. But huh? we, we entertained You might have been the owner before me, yeah. No, 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 no. It was something it was it something was, different, it, you mean. But it was funny because this for you, it came about shortly thereafter. Yeah. But um I remember we entertained the idea and we romanticized about right. how it would be, you know, because that's the way we are. We were raised like life is Norman Rockwell. Here's here's what I've discovered uh from this paper that uh, that here's what people like. And I, here, what, here's what I do with paper. And it's become very, without sounding braggy, it has become wildly popular. Mm -hmm. uh, people love it. Oh, yeah. Love it. Um, if it's not there, people are asking. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's that would, chaos. That's, that's it's a bad day. Yeah, the oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, people love this thing. They absolutely <clears> do. <throat> but what, what I do, what my, that my secret sauce is that I take history and facts and I turn them into a story. I make them into a story. Mm -hmm. And even if I have to, you know, you when, when you see movies um, about people's lives, they'll go, it was mostly true. 
There's 95% right. to, Hollywood has to take a script and make yeah. and add some add some little things in there that make a story. I'm a big fan of coloring. So I, I try not to make a historical uh, mistakes in the stories that I do because I tell right. a lot of history stories. But what I do is turn them into a, a beginning and a middle and an end and a punchline. And I turn them into a story. And that's what people like. And, you know, that's how the, the successful communicators in uh, in the world, Jesus, that's what he did. He told yeah. stories. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've discovered, what people like. You can just spit out historical facts and go, and it's nice. But if you turn it into a story, uh, then, then it's people, which is it. the theme of what all of the conversations this and is a storytelling today. stories, you yeah. know, and even musically, again, going back to the music part of it, I was one of those kids that grew up because I really wasn't allowed to listen to rock music. You know, again, grew up in the church and my parents were, oh, very, you weren't allowed very, to listen to rock music. Hmm. Really? No. Um, not until really by the time ninth grade, my folks had pretty much put their hands in the air and. But, I mean, really, my mom and dad, I mean, they were on the edge if we were watching Donnie and Marie. You <sighs> that know, seems, that was, usually Presbyterians weren't that uh, strict. My parents, in my opinion, in my view of my parents, my parents are a little bit more old-fashioned than what my grandparents were. Wow. My grandmother and grandfather were, like, doing riverboat cruises with Jerry Lee Lewis. And my dad was driving down the road listening to Mitch Miller. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was kind of a different and, and, uh, you know, I started off singing. I, I was a bit of a singer as a kid and, uh, my parents really, really wanted me to be, um, Tom, uh, what was his name? Um, from the Lawrence Welk show, Tom Heatherton. Boy, I don't know. Remember the blonde dude who mm. always wore the suits and had the nice baritone voice. May vaguely, barely. I, whatever his name was, yeah. but that was acceptable. And that was what they would have, yeah. you know, that's nice pretty, that's pretty I don't want to say legalistic, but pretty strict. You know, I you weren't allowed to listen to rock music. That's pretty strict. Yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I guess I've got to just do what you need to do there to make that thing work. It came with a kit. How about podcasting kits everywhere now? Are they a big deal? Have you, you don't, well, I guess you don't follow those kind of no, things. No, but you're going to help me to be a podcaster. Well, I'd love to. Okay. I'd love, that's all what part of this is. So going back to the music part of it, I was a kid that grew up, and any time I get a hold of any kind of music or any kind of albums, I would pick the, my favorite songs off of them. And then one eventually got a hold of a tape deck and then started making tapes so I could listen to my own mixes of music. And there's a whole long story behind that leading into radio with basically my mother just constantly telling me that you talk too much. Why don't you get out of the radio station and see if the lady's No one's going to pay you to talk. That's what they told me in school. Yeah. So... um but anyway, um, I've so music again, we get back into that and people like to hear the familiar stuff. They like there's a reason why radio does work, although I really hate what radio has become because you pick a radio station, they're playing 300 songs in rotation over and over and over and over again. You hear the same songs in shopping there's, malls. There's you, something you know. and I'll use, I don't want to use this word in its original intention because it's become a slur. But the original intention of this word, when I say this, there is something retarded yes uh, slowing it down well no let me finish something retarded about a the, especially for me the classic rock format where you only play classic the same 500 songs, songs. 
It's you know, it feels like nothing ever develops. Retarded in the sense that nothing is going right. to new is going to develop. There's not you develop. know, it just, there, it's, it's the same stagnation. Stag and yeah, I mean, at least Hot 101. I don't like the music, but at least they're playing new stuff. Yeah. But, well, yeah. but even that, I mean, and the new stuff that the radio stations playing is already been released to the internet and to these kids. I don't know if I don't like it just because I'm old now well we are old curmudgeons now <laughs> right. that's the funny you part. hate to complain about new music because that immediately just people go oh, they're just old guys well so what i've done now beth ann's taste the music like hot 101 and whatever i mean she she's bouncing in the car and trying to think it. of the acronym and what, what did we say it was i've lost it the uh, personal oh yeah my my um i can't remember what my emotional support life companion okay yes i should probably yeah, write emotional support emotional. E S L. E S L Companion C. Companion. Yeah. Your E S L C. Go ahead. Yeah. E S L C. Yeah. Your E S L C. Yeah. So um no, she can she enjoys. I I can't do it because again, it gets back down to now they've taken music and they've turned it into a science and they know that they've got to do X amount of beats per X amount of whatever. Really? And, oh yeah. Do it's they? Getting ridiculous. I didn't realize that's what so they're... that they're hitting on impulses. I mean, it, there's so much of pop music. It's and yet not the music about... still sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, but for me, I like new music. I like finding new music. You like, I, do you like alter alternative? Dude, it's you so, like to you, find the indie bands and new stuff. I know you do. It's all over the place. Yeah. I mean, it's Americana. It's folk. I mean, it's rockabilly. It's psychobilly. I mean, it's all of it. I mean, there's. I like it all. Yeah. Uh, heck, I've got a show with a polka song on it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like and and I yeah and and then the fun thing is, especially taking like an hour format of music and finding all this different stuff and then finding how it you can make it flow. So for me, it becomes like a musical blog, hmm. and um, some of it you're gonna like. Some of it. Did you're you not. like DJing when you did? You guys were more of a morning comedy show so, than you were DJs. <clears throat> but when you did it, but did you? I, I the times that I've DJed, I kind of got bored with it. So the most fun that I had, but then again, I was never much of a jock jock. Um, right. I did clubs. I I wasn't really a jock jock until I left Youngstown and went to Erie, and that was the first time that I was completely on my own. I was pretty much a production guy from the beginning. I like to be this locked away. This is before away. Super Dave and Dana? Well, before that, or, or well, and even okay. really it developed with Super Dave and Dana. Okay. And, you know, he and I met in Christian Radio. In Greenville? Uh, no, Mercer. Mercer. KTX or whatever yeah. it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. KTX? Yeah. yeah. I was just home from Florida and uh, ended up up there. And so and, you guys uh, had the super crazy Dave, Super Dave and Dana. Yeah. And then... Dave and I just hit it off. And then you guys you were great. You guys were great on the air together. But it, I remember the show. So, 93.3 or was that 95 K rock? That was K rock was the first big one. Yeah. was the first. Yeah. So let me tell you this. This is one of my Joe Rogan. This, uh, this is a little guilty pleasure and I'll just throw it out there. Um, so one of the biggest, biggest comedy, um, internet sensation programs that that's out there is a program called kill Tony. All right, never, never heard of it. It's a 90-minute to two-hour. Uh, it's basically an improv. So what it is, they've taken, an, and, and it's what Dave and I used to, Dave and I used to do nights out, and we used to actually entertain. So we'd go out, and we, because actually, so let me back up again. Our start, we were one of the very first karaoke mm. teams, if not the I first karaoke team. I vaguely remember something about that. 
before Simply Ed. Anywhere. Well, Simply Ed came after us. Right. He's been doing it for like 25 years no, or something. No, 37 Oh, now. my God. Yeah. He's he's going to be on here That's before too choice. long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good Ed, choice. Yeah. Ed's going to be on. Yep. I mean, I've got, a, I've got, I've got ringers, <laughs> you right. know, hooked up. And then I've got some other surprises uh, that are coming up. But anyway, so Dave and I started our shtick doing a karaoke show. And I mean, this is back, you know, 1990, 91. And that's how we ended up doing the, the getting on K-Rock. Uh, it was on your karaoke songs were on reel to reel. No, no we, we actually joke. had laser disc. Come on. Laser disc. Oh, Binder, wow, I was Binder. kidding. You were at laser yeah. disc. Laser disc. That's good. That was the first. There's, there's a whole story behind that whole karaoke thing. But anyway, Dave and I end up on the radio. And so we started learning how to write and how to actually produce. And I was the only one with really any real production skills at that point. Dave was a concrete worker, grew up and working concrete and construction. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so I, that was the whole thing was, and it was always that I always wanted to create radio theater and doing comedy was the easiest way to do it. And actually somebody would pay you to do it. Mm -hmm. The thing that I didn't anticipate with all of that was I thought I was going to be, and again, th there's so many examples of this in my life. When I got into all of this, and even when I got into radio and doing it with Dave, I never anticipated nights out. I never really thought about going out. I knew that you'd have to do a remote every once in a while, but I'd never given any thought to, I mean, once we gave up the karaoke, I figured, ah, but no, the only way you can make a living was to go do nights out. So we had to come up with a shtick, and one of the things that we used to do is bring people up on stage. Sometimes we'd have a table with our banner on it. Other times it would just be us up there. But we'd basically bring people on stage and just beat them up for five minutes or so. And right. then they'd get a T-shirt, right. and we'd make the audience laugh. Well, then along I discovered this Kill Tony through the Joe Rogan and all of his comedian friends. And this Tony Henchcliffe is who started it, and it's just this huge thing. And they had it in LA and it was a, it was a basically an open mic night where you come in in front of several professional comedians, Tony Henchcliffe being one of them and then a guest and they had a live band, which was what Dave and I, cause Dave and I always did this with bands, you know, out with nights out and Henchcliffe would, um, and then they, you, you get your name pulled out of a fishbowl. And then you get the a one minute, you get 60 seconds to get up and give it your best shot at comedy. And then these guys just beat the daylights up out of you for a few minutes. Well, these then people you that were something. aspiring comedians or just yeah, people that were could, at the show? It could be anything. Right. But you have to put your name in. You have to volunteer right. to do it. It's right. just become huge. Well, now it's moved from L.A. to Austin, which is where they are. And it's all part of the comedy mothership. This whole thing. That so your your best your, your best three jokes in one minute. Exactly. Two jokes maybe. And, yeah. and some of them are great. And then there's right. regulars. Right. And it's been, I'm having a ball with it. But going back with Tony Henchcliffe, he's from Youngstown, hmm. and he's on with Rogan. Got to get heard, him on the show. Well, I'm I'm I. He's going to be doing a show in Youngstown. But I I've got to admit now this is not. I'm just curious because he's talked several times on Rogan's show about growing up and listening to comedy, you know, radio in his town, in Youngstown. And these guys always sounded like you they were maybe. having so much Might fun. Might have been you. It was either Dave or I or Freddie and Chris, Fast Freddie. And I would be more leaning to believe that it was Dave. They weren't that funny. <laughs> it was Dave and I. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I would. Yeah. Huh. I, so you might have been the the, I, the reason for you know, it. I, it just, it'd be, How long did you do the D Super Dave and Dana show? Well, he got fired. 
<laughs> so he got fired both times. Uh, K-Rock, and then he was gone, and I got teamed up with Ken Lovejoy, and we became Stevens and Steele. Mm, maybe vaguely I remember that. And I loved working with Ken. Ken was a Ken was a good partner. He was kind of a cross between uh, Fraser Crane and Jonathan Winters. Wow. He was wow. goofball. I love. I'm still. We still right. keep in touch. What was Dave? Just he was kind of bombastic, wasn't he? Dave was. Yeah, he was. Tornado. Dave. What, what, was he have a radio name? Dave. Uh, just Dave. Super Dave. Okay. He's always been Super Dave. Okay. We actually got a cease and desist from Super Dave Super himself. Dave, Did uh, you? Osborne. Osborne. Yeah. Yeah. A couple yeah. of times. Who I loved. Which we just. I loved his stick. I loved Super Dave. Yeah. But um, and then by the time we ended up at CD 106, and then that's when the corporate takeovers and things started happening. And then, he went to Y103 for a while because he was there when I was there at PIC. Across well, the hall. he that was yeah that was before oh, CD 106. Okay. Because I actually came. I ended up they fired him. Right. And called me. Oh, replaced him with in. you. They re, I, I I literally got the call and it was like two hours notice. It's like, listen, we just fired Dave. What are you doing this evening? Could you come in and do the <laughs> show? Work. So I did Sunday evenings for a little while. I remember that. Up there. I um, worked uh, noon to seven on Sunday. So you and I might yeah. overlap for a short yeah. period. I remember. We used yeah, to talk. For a, yep. For we a talk. short period. Yep. And you and I always sort of knew each other. Yeah. But I don't know where we ever originally. Just radio, I think, probably. Probably then. You think? I think that's probably where we. Because I started in high school with WWIZ. I, I, I did sales that. at Wiz for a while. Yeah. Yep. Carl Brandt, Brand. but um, Bobby Greenberg was not there yet. No, no, no. This is way before. Grace Santa Boggs, RIP, she was, was there. Around. Yep. Carl. Um, uh, Carl Brandt. Oh, uh, redheaded guy that sold. I can't oh, that, then, well, then there was Clark. Nelson was his name or something like that. There was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Redheaded guy that sold there. Right? But see, I came in, the, literally the school bus dropped me off. I would catch after school, the school, school bus, funny? the school bus had dropped me off at the radio station and I would do news and weather and I had the right news. I would write it out of the Sharon Herald and uh, rearrange it and whatever. And then I would have to do, I'd record the news reports and the weather. And then I'd have to set the, which I have a picture by the way, of the automation from those days with that big machine. Yeah. I have Raul is what we called it, but, um, yeah. So there's a little bit of radio ratting. Yeah, we're doing deep dive into radio history here. That's so we funny. start off with Jesus. See, if you could just get Jesus in the spaceship, <laughs> you could sell the prophecy stuff way easier. You think I'd be able to pitch it better, huh? Yeah. That's Did you funny. see in my bathroom, I have a plastic Jesus up on no. the top shelf. Personal which Jesus. Is, it's not what it is. It's in a very personal space. And it's not <laughs> right. meant to be sacrilegious. Right. But it's just, a, it's it's my own reminder of the Jesus that I love and that I know is not the Jesus that's been packaged for me. Right, right, right. You know, I, I think have there's problems. a lot of people who who think that way that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that, that there's a there's a religion has been an issue for a lot of people and 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 that's what I don't like about religion. And even Jesus wasn't, you know, people say oh religion, but Jesus was not a fan of religion. No, not at all. He's the one that he called the <clears throat> he called the priests of the day, the guys that were in charge there, the rabbis rather, priests, rabbis uh he called them whitewashed tombs, you know, all nice and clean and white on the outside, but dead on the inside. So he wasn't really a fan of religion. So I don't know what it was with my upbringing, and believe me, brought up in a very, and, and it's very, my mother still to this day, I mean, brings it up probably every week when I visit her. And it's like, yeah, you really need to get back to church. And there's, yeah, there's truth in that. And there's other issues in that. And, but I haven't found a church family at this mm -hmm. point that I really want to. And and not to mention, and this is awful, but I'll admit it publicly. 
every time people approach me and come after me for a church, it's always about what I could do for them. And I'm not looking because for that Because you're talented, right you're saying I they know. want you to run the board or they want oh, you to do they, yeah. all and, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, well, and then it always turns into, and wait till you see the new audio video equipment we have. Right, and wait right. till you see. And it's like the last thing I want to do is put Jesus on a milk carton. I just don't want to do that. Right. That's not why I want to, yeah. you know. And I'm not a big church guy, honestly. I, my faith's really important to me, and I, I I have a personal relationship with God and with His Son. But I'm not a church. I'm not really a. I'm not yeah. A, I'm not a really. A, I'm a church family. I've been to different churches, and I kind of come and go. But and I'm certainly not going to sit here and say, "Well, this, nature's my church, man." Right. No, I mean we're here right. everywhere. Any anywhere can be a church. There's a. Right. I, I, we've heard. We yeah. both have heard testimony from a lot of POWs that have found churches in it. A lot worse hell holes than what we're right, we'll right, right, or prisoners with. or anybody. Yeah, exactly. But um, so yeah, so we went from radio to Jesus, to back to Jesus again. Well, you know, the whole point is is just making this this channel of mine interesting, and so well, I've certainly had a great time here today. Well, that's it, that. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, this is what I want it to be, and you were perfect. Well, so, listen, you have. What was you, the last time that you were on a date and somebody said that to you? Man? Thank <laughs> you very perfect, much. You were perfect. perfect, right? Never. <laughs> uh, I think you have a, a future here. This could be just as big or bigger than your music uh, venue. It's, you, you, have, you certainly have the, the ability to do this, and, and the studio's nice, and this is a nice setup. So this would be. Well, a, well you can see now. So, I mean, the, the potential of actually being able to do some of this stuff and bring in. A studio audience mm -hmm. oh yeah that's right you have, a, um, you have a big room behind us here that's black yeah oh yeah you can do nice that would be great uh, well, that's kind of what i'm yeah yeah and that's why i wanted you to see it and now this i think there's something about the bit, i think that would be fun i think there's something about the intimacy of this though uh when i interview a lot of people oh i want yeah this is always the meat and the bread and butter but i mean even in conversations it, it, yeah I, I find when I do a lot, I do a lot of interviews, two, three, four interviews a night on Wednesday nights. I interview usually three or four people. But uh, the conversations before we go on the air, and it's only five minutes usually because I'm getting, you know, it's live radio. I have to go. But those conversations are usually better than the than the ones. Once once they, there's an audience or once they, the, the, the on-air sign, people go into this mode and it's, it's they're a little bit protected. But... But this is the cool thing about podcasts because we're not a broadcast. There's not an audience here, and we're just being real. And it's I think you can get to a lot more. And I think that's the secret of a Joe Ro Joe Rogan show. You can get a lot more real and a lot more, you know, real stuff that happens here without an audience. Because if there's an audience here, I probably wouldn't have said ten percent or twenty percent of the stuff I said. No, you know, I called the ex president of you know, D word and those kind of things. Yeah. You know, no, I'm a little no. bit embarrassed about. But no, don't, don't. Um, and I'd, I'd be happy to beep it for you. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, the, the thing is, is that this is, yeah, this definitely, I want this to be the meat and I want it to be one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one, just, just conversations. And, and I've that's, got some, fu that's funny too. The, those, and I, I, sometimes people want to bring two or three people in the studio and that changes the It changes atmosphere. the dynamic. It, dynamic, and, and, it and, does. And it has to be yep. for a reason. It's yeah. not just, you know, just I think this it. format's better. Oh, I agree. Although if you get the right three people, it's okay. It's still good. Mm -hmm. But there's still a, a, an intimacy that's lost. There's a connection that's lost with the third person. It's, it makes it different. My brother and I have had this conversation over and over again. Now, I'm a radio guy. So the, having a boom mic stand and a mic like this, I'm, I've been doing it for 40 years. I'm really, really comfortable. But he's very much of the school that um, 
that uh, you know we have all this technology now, and you don't have to do that. You can hide it. You don't have yeah. to wear headphones. Right. You don't have to. Thing is, I love it, and I, I Joe Rogan again has talked about it, but I've also said this over and over in my radio career and having guests. It's like, man, once you put the headphones on, you're in the room. Yeah, I like the headphones. Me too. Uh, I'd have a trouble doing this like we do without headphones. Yeah, because you'd just, be the same way. I'm sure. I, oh I, yeah, I, yeah. It's you know because I'm used so used to that. My no, this that, that adds to the intimacy of it. So I doubt it's, that I'm ever. And I don't want this I, is a better format. I, I, I'm a little bit jealous because what I do is all radio or all phone interviews. Well, see, that's what you do. So what happened with me is I started this. Now I've known Craig and Rich up at GRP, and they've kind of we've been friends and acquaintances for a few years. And I put the finally just went ahead and said the heck with it. And I put the music. I started putting the podcast up. I, I, I didn't want to be one of those guys doing it during COVID. For you're whatever saying reason. your actual radio show, you started doing a podcast. <clears throat> so I started doing the podcast. And, uh, just just my without show. without permission from them, or you just just said, "I'm this is what I'm doing." No, I, I'm doing my own podcast. Okay. Mr. Dana presents, and then you were putting it on the air. And so. so I had like two or three episodes up, and Craig from the radio station calls me and says, "Hey, would you come on? We want to talk to you." And I'm oh, thinking, "Okay, they want to put this on because my this is I, I I don't bleep out anything." I mean, not that I'm explicit. I'm not, but sure. the music is unedited. I yeah. mean, I play it the way it's intended. Okay. Um, but anyway, but anyway, Craig and Rob go up and talk to them. They're like, no, we really think you ought to do a 70s at 7. We're doing this 80s at 8 show. Would you do it? And I thought about it for a minute. And again, Greenville's so You're, lucky Are you doing it live? No. Or you just send it? Okay. I, I it seems to be easier to just produce it and send it. In. Yeah, I produce yeah. it right yeah. here. And okay. then I send it up to yeah. them, and they air it on Sunday night, and then I um, repost it on my page. So that became the second element of my show. So I have my own podcast called Mr. Dana Presents. Then there's Mr. Dana Presents the 70s at 7 on WGRP, and you can listen to that as well. <clears throat> and now we're adding the coffee talkie part of it. Is that what this is? Yeah. This is the very first coffee Mr. talk. Mr. Dana Presents Coffee Talkie. Talkie. Coffee Talkie. I'm calling it Coffee Talkie because it looks good on a t-shirt. <laughs> okay. So this is a very episode one. This one, is one. episode one. one. Um, very zero, on, zero, Very zero, honored one. to be on the very first episode. Very, one. very first one. Yeah. Thank you. And, and, thank you. And I want you to come back. All right. I mean, we'll do this. I have a lot more we can talk about. Well, we both do. Yeah. And, you know, we're, uh, we're comfortable conversationalists. So. Thank you. Neither today, one of us have a book. I. That's right. That's well. No, gonna, I do not. Gonna work on a book, but yeah, let's work on your podcast. Okay, I want to yeah. do it. Yep. So you could be doing your own talk show, and on top of that, you could be also putting your PIC show up. That's what I hope to do. Eric yeah. Bombeck, the way the way it was. I love that name. The way it was. The way it was. People, everyone calls it the way we were, almost to a person. Probably nine out of ten people. So it's I love that the song, and that's what I say to him. I say, "Well, that's not my paper. That's a song by Barbara Streisand." But the but the way, yeah, everybody the goes, way, the way man, the way we were. That's a great paper. There was a in the newspaper in the Sharon Herald for twenty five or thirty years. There's a guy named Wally Walker, and he had an article called "The Way We Were." Yes, weekly in the Herald, and all he ever did. And I remember when I was a kid, I always loved history. He would all he would do complain about how bad it was then and how great it was in the past. And I'd always be like, Wally, tell me a story about the past. Don't just complain. Every spend half the time complaining about now. I said, don't complain about now. That's nice. Tell me a story. And he never would. So, uh, but that's why this paper is called the way it was, because the way we were was already taken. Right. So yeah. I love it. Yeah. So the newspaper, and then he can also hear Eric on WPIC, 
Wednesdays and, uh, at seven o'clock on WPIC. Uh, you can catch it there. You can catch it on my Facebook page. It's recorded there. Uh, Eric Bombeck on Facebook, or you can any radio app you can listen in, or you can listen on triple dot seven nine zero wpic.com we'll get you to the station website where you can listen to it wednesdays at five to seven and then i have a sunday morning show i do that's a little more prophecy uh focused and that's sunday morning at eight on wpic called the road cool thank, thank you. you my man thanks man